Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we're joined here today by Liz Femler. Liz, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, yeah, I'm Liz. I'm an audiologist at Hearing and Balance Specialist of Kansas City. It's actually my first year out, um, so I took a position as a vestibular specialist at the practice, and it's a private practice. There's uh, three other audiologists that work there, and it's in Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm originally from Missouri, so I'm excited to be back in the show me state. <laughs> Very cool. Fellow Missourian as well. Um, so the reason I wanted to bring Liz on today is, you know, uh, this podcast, it has a really wide range of different guests. And one of the guests, one of the type of guests that I've really wanted to have is like a real young, um, fresh out of college, fresh out of uh, grad school audiologist, somebody that's just entered into the world and get their perspective because I've talked a lot, uh, you know, in these real audiology specific episodes about sort of like the changing landscape. So I definitely wanted to bring Liz on. Um, This isn't the first time I've talked with Liz. I actually uh, had her on back when I was doing Oak Tree TV, my video series. Um, I had her on and back then she was the head of the Student Academy of Audiology. Um, So definitely you know, helping to really push the ball forward. So let's just start right there. Like, can you share with us some of the most exciting things that you guys did when you were with the SAA and um, sort of like, what's the state of the Student Academy of Audiology today? And what are some of the things that they're working on? Yeah, so I'm still um, a semi-member of the SAA. I'm kind of serving as a half advisor as past president. So it's nice to stay plugged in Um, to the students because I half identify as one still. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I've been really excited to see what the Student Academy has been doing. Of course, um, we have more students than ever who are involved, over 70 different chapters at universities, which is just neat because some of them are undergraduate only chapters. So those are, you know, freshmen to seniors that are already committing to audiology that young. It's really, really neat to see. Um, One thing I was excited about this year, we just rolled out the audiology student census. So last year, we, we spent the whole year working on it, but we've never really taken a good evaluation about what students are like, what they're interested in, you know, where they're coming from. We just didn't have a very good grasp on what the typical demographic of someone entering audiology school was. So we're currently, we have that survey out and I'm excited to see the data because it'll be interesting to kind of know if we have people who are interested in PhD or nobody interested, or if we have people who are interested in a certain sector uh, of audiology, and that's what got him interested. So I'm I'm really sure. pumped to see that those results. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, you know, you said that you've transitioned, right? And I think that for some of the listeners that might be um, young aspiring audiologists themselves, or um, also fellow, uh, you know, recent grads that are now working in the real world, um, how did you find and, and land upon the job that you're in? Yeah, uh, great question. So my current position actually came as a result of my involvement as a student with the SA, which is crazy that that ties back to what we were just chatting about. But I served as a member on the American Academy of Audiology board, um, the AAA board. I was the student liaison. And so I met people through there. And one of the members owns this practice here in Kansas City. 
and had reached out to me and asked if I was interested in applying for a position that they had. Uh, and it just really worked out fit super, super well with what I was looking for. But it's, it's interesting to be a student who's you know, been in school, been exposed to every part of audiology, and then you mm -hmm. reach the end, and it's your turn to decide, you know, what you're looking for. And I was kind of surprised where I ended up, because I never thought I'd end up in a private practice. I never mm -hmm. thought I'd specialize in such a seemingly small part of audiology, vestibular science. And so it really taught me to be very open to new settings and new roles. And I've really enjoyed it, for sure. That's interesting. So why vestibular and why private practice? I mean, it sounds like part of it was the opportunity that presented itself, but what aspects of those two things, you can go kind of, you know, in tandem or just one after another, but what is it in, in maybe also through the experience that you've had so far, um, what sort of um, like, what was the gravitating force around those two things? For sure. Well, I always joke with people about how I ended up in vestibular is like the game of Plinko. If you've ever seen it, I kept just getting pushed down yep. one, one area. Um, it's kind of a joke, but I, I got into vestibular. I thought I'd never go into it, but I did a T35 research assistantship at Boys Town in Omaha. And I was in a vestibular lab and learned so much and loved it. And then uh, did my externship at Mayo Clinic, which has a really good vestibular program. And so I, th I think I was drawn to that. I love puzzles and vestibular audiology is very puzzle based as is the rest, but you really get involved with the medical field, medications, you work with neurologists and all different types of, of healthcare professionals. And I like the fact that, you know, when people are dizzy, it really, it takes them out of their life. They're not driving, they're not working, they're not even walking at some points, mm -hmm. you know, if they're dizzy or imbalanced enough. And so for me, the amount of impact I could have in a patient's life seems pretty pretty large when I can help figure out an issue that's going on and, and set them on their way. So yeah, vestibular, um, it's surprising that I'm in it, but my, <laughs> my vestibular teacher at Purdue, she used to call me Dizzy Lizzie. Um, apparently Beatles have covered that song, but I guess that can be my Twitter handle in the future. <laughs> there you go. So what about the private practice side? Um, you know, maybe even if it wasn't what drew you to private practice, what are the things that um, you find to be either rewarding or attractive to that type of setting? Yeah, it's a great question. So like I said, I thought private practice would be the last setting I would end up in. And, you know, my main fear and kind of non-negotiable is I didn't want to be dictated by, you know, a, the business of the practice on how I should serve the patient. So I don't mm -hmm. want to feel like I have to do certain tests just to meet the bottom line for the practice. Totally. And I, it was probably an unfair assumption that I had of a private practice, you know, operating as a business. So for me looking for jobs, I knew what were my non-negotiables and I, you know, I am really trying to stay attuned to evidence-based care and practice. And so I knew for a fact that I didn't want to feel forced into doing things I didn't feel was ethically right for the patient's care. So Luckily, this private practice is super unique and I feel like is really great about treating each patient as an individual and I don't feel any pressure there, which is awesome. The other aspect that's interesting um, and I think tends towards kind of the future of audiology is as a private practitioner and especially in vestibular, which is a little bit more uncommon, you have the autonomy to you know make decisions as a standing healthcare <coughs> provider and it's it's very unique from the other settings I had rotated through where maybe audiology is under an ear, nose, throat department or some mm -hmm. other department. Um, it's kind of neat to be on your own and it's scary, especially as a new professional, but um, you do have the professional autonomy to talk on your 
expertise in, in what you've studied in. And I really like that aspect. And I think that will trend well towards where audiology is going. For sure. And before I get ahead of myself, because I yeah. definitely want to touch on that whole topic of the future of the industry and your perspective on that. Um, so you've transitioned, right? You've made this jump in and now you're working full time. Like what has been um, the thing that you were, that that's caught you by most surprise? Like what was the thing that you felt like maybe you didn't have um, a formalized background, you know, a formalized education around it in terms of the background and like, what aspect of your day-to-day is the thing that you maybe felt not necessarily most unprepared for, but like caught you by surprise? For sure. Um, I think one of the top things that was the biggest learning curve for me was um, billing just Mm -hmm. because at my previous sites that I had rotated through, that wasn't something as a student that I did. Um, So it's, that was probably the most challenging thing just for me to get used to different insurance companies and get used to talking to talk of, you can't bill this for certain insurance companies, but you can bill it here and um, knowing the codes. So I feel like a lot of that comes with practice. It's, Mm -hmm. we, we definitely discussed it in school, but it's a little bit more abstract when you're not using it daily. So that, that was a big learning curve. Um, The other thing that surprised me is there's just such a fine balance between confidence and humility as a new (laughs) provider because the amount of times that I've had a patient be like so how long have you been practicing or how old are you or you know and it's it's hard to respond in a a confident professional manner to say don't worry I'm qualified enough to look in your ears and um, so that's one line is really boosting yourself up Mm. and saying I have the skills and confidence to be able to you know treat you and help you and at least help with the diagnosis here but then enough humility to not overdiagnose or make assumptions and be always, you know, willing to learn and seek out help when you need it. It's, it's a really fine balance, I think, because you want to be confident, uh, but you're also feel like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, a synonymous term for that might be imposter syndrome. I, yeah. <laughs> I think this is something that like a lot of young people, like particularly when you're starting out, like I know when I first started to um, create videos and create podcasts and stuff like that, like there's a total, um, you just almost have to get so comfortable in your own skin that you can just say like, I'm qualified. You know, I'm, this is something that I'm passionate about. I, you know, for you, it's like, I have like a ton of expertise and education that stems from all this. And so like, I think like just, it's a matter of just, uh, it takes time, but it, it's just a process basically. But you did mention with the codes, I thought that's really interesting because I've talked to Dr. Ian Windmill before. Um, he's, uh, you know, a former AAA president and, um, you know, he's made mention of these, this whole idea that um, you can, a lot of hearing care professionals can be more effective with the way that they bill um, just by having a better understanding of what exactly they can bill for. And it sounds like you're sort of ahead of the curve because I'm sure every single day you're finding like, oh, I had no idea that for this particular insurance company, I can bill this or for Medicare, I can bill this. I mean, is that kind of how you felt is that it's like every single day you learn something new? Yeah, absolutely. And it's what's interesting is as soon as you get the hang of it, things can change with, with insurance companies or like, you know, obviously it's January 2020 and I'm like, okay, what's changed? Because every patient I feel like I do have to double check or ask. And, you know, that's why it's nice to be a part of a practice that's done this before. Mm -hmm, I couldn't even imagine starting out on my own and having to figure it all out. But, you know, it's nice to have the safety net. 
help. Yeah. And I just think that's such valuable skill, right? Like you can, you, that's so, um, that translates to really any kind of hearing care job that you would ever have, like whether you're working in a private practice or you're working in a hospital, wherever it might be, I would imagine that that's going to be a skill that can translate across those. Um, so with the future, um, I think this is a really interesting topic that I'm always curious to hear how young professionals uh, are perceiving all of this change that's happening. Um, I guess rather than like drill into any one specific thing, why don't we just talk at a high level? Um, what what are the things that maybe let's start with? What are the things that excite you about the future of the industry and the profession? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, especially this year, one thing that's been most exciting just internally within the field of audiology is the collaboration between the three major organizations towards, mm -hmm. um, you know, healthcare and legislate legislator. I can't even talk right now, <laughs> but uh, you know, all the stuff that's been going on in DC, that's been a many, many years of hard work and uh, collaborating together. And so me seeing that, especially after being involved with the AAA board and higher level with the SA, I know what a huge feat that is for all three organizations uh, to be working together on something that could be really influential to our patients. So that for sure excited me quite a bit and I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, I would agree with that. So what about maybe some of the risks that you see on the horizon or things that maybe are a little bit more um, fear-based? Yeah, I think, you know, the one that I've heard for a couple of years and I, I can relate to in a way is related to over-the-counter hearing aids. I think that's gonna continue to be, and it's mainly just an unknown until we get some more mm -hmm. details. Uh, from the FDA, et cetera, but it's it's a big unknown on how that's going to affect our field. One thing that you know helps with my decision to go into vestibular science is kind of related to that because mm -hmm. um, the way I see audiologists in general, and I hope the public will also see this, is that um, audiologists, you know, are truly the experts of hearing loss and um, balance, imbalance and vestibular issues. And so we were really the, the diagnosticians and mm -hmm. also helping towards a, a solution towards a lot of the issues. And so for me going into vestibular, I'm hoping to be, uh, maybe a little less impacted by whatever, you know, boosts or disadvantages come from an over the counter situation, but who knows that's, it definitely played into my decision a little bit. Cause I, I hope it'll make me potentially less impacted by any mm -hmm. uh, negativity coming from it, but we'll see. No, I, I mean, I would totally agree with you. I think that the, the services are what's going to be hardest to disrupt. I think that anything that's very product oriented, any business model that's super specific to this, the sale of the hearing aid, although all practices and, and really all hearing care professionals, business models that I know of um, right. are some way in shape tied to the sale of the hearing aid. But I think that um, I've had this conversation with a number of, of people that I've had on the podcast that I think that the, the strongest area of differentiation is going to be expertise, your education, and just your sheer knowledge of everything. And so if you have um, a really core differentiated uh, area, even within that, like vestibular, I think that makes a ton of sense that like, that's a really strong point of differentiation. So like, um, what's, you know, where, where do you see um, not only the industry, but like yourself and like, kind of like, where do you see things being five years from now, 10 years from now? Do you think that you yourself will want to own a private practice? Um, 
you know, is that something that your peers are thinking about or is that something that that's not really a high priority anymore? And, and I'm just curious why that would maybe be. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a little bit hard, I think, to for a while, we've all been planning ahead for like, where am I going <laughs> right. to do my externship? Where am I going to have my first job? So finally, right now, I'm feeling very at peace with not having to plan, totally. you know, too much further in advance. But something I've started at our practice is um, concussion programs. There's a, a lot of interesting research coming out in vestibular audiology about um, some tests that are sensitive to concussion. So th- that's surprisingly taken um, a pretty good excitement in the area and so I'm hoping personally that that will continue to grow and I've really enjoyed working with some health professionals in the area on that Um, and I could see that being a really cool area for vestibular audiology to grow in as well so um, that's one thing I personally work on I would be interested probably in ownership in the future but like I said right now I'm really enjoying work-life balance (laughs) Working in grad school, it felt like 25 hours a day and on SAA stuff, et cetera. I'm, I'm really enjoying being able to work and do as best I can while I'm there and then come home and also relax a bit. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. So as we close here, yeah. last question, what would you say to any aspiring audiologist, you know, any of the students today, what's the biggest takeaway that you've had from sort of like you know, when you started this journey where you decided I'm going to be an audiologist, now you are an audiologist, you're in, you know, this great new setting. What's the biggest takeaway that you've had that you can share with uh, an aspiring young student, audiologist, whoever it might be? Yeah, um, I think two main things. Um, one, you're in charge of your education. I think a lot of times students expect um their institutions or their externship sites or wherever they are to provide enough education for them to feel confident. And that's one thing I learned once I started going off offsite for clinics is, is really you're the person who is going to push forward your own knowledge and learning the most. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to take hold of that early in grad school and know that not every university has the resources to provide what you need for the whole scope of audiology and not every externship site or practice site that you'll pass through. And, you know, I think taking hold of that can make you, you know, a really great clinician if you continue to learn. The other thing I think, which is obvious if you look at my resume is just staying involved and getting involved outside of grad school. I think it's kind of the trend, at least, what I thought was, oh, I'm going to get to grad school, just go to school, and then like, I'm going to start working. And it's really not the case. I think the more you get involved, the better. I mean, I'm a classic case of I got my job because I was involved outside of grad school in, you know, national organizations, state organizations. And really, there's so much talent among students um, that it's almost a disservice to our our whole field when people aren't getting involved outside of grad school, because we have some really bright and confident and great ideas coming from the student population that anytime I hear that I try to encourage a student to do something outside of you know their own school or classroom because the students can make a really big difference and I think a lot of times um, they don't have the confidence to feel like they can but yeah um, you know putting in a little extra time and, and doing some things outside of your school makes it I think a huge difference. I would totally agree with that. I think you're right. You're the classic example of that. You put yourself out there. You really kind of like 
challenged yourself to kind of keep doing more and more things and it landed you this awesome job. And I think that's a, a really good testament to um, the power that is, you know, just putting yourself out there and, and getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. So Liz, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thank you for everybody for joining us again this week. And we'll chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.